I have some dear people that I like and care a lot about, and they put some Facebook posts out, and um, they are from the Arab-Palestinian persuasion, and um, some of them were horribly disturbing, and I haven't been able to process them. Uh, one of them is that, uh, that everyone in America is white supremacist, and that's why we don't care about the Palestinian people. If they were white, then we would have a different opinion, a different approach. And here's the reality. I don't know many Christians today who aren't praying for Palestinians. If you saw Will Hart and Heidi Baker when they were in Jerusalem last week, they said, please pray for our Palestinian brothers and sisters. And so we have a tendency to whitewash or take a wide brush and paint everyone the same color. Um, I, you'd be surprised that one of the biggest issues that drove me from the United Methodist Church was that the last meeting I had, an African-American woman who I knew very little about accused me of being a racist. And that's a problem. You're just a racist. Uh, not knowing I was raised by a black woman, not knowing I grew up in a black community, not knowing that 80 or 90 percent of all of our ministry is done in the African-American community, not because I feel obligated or trying to pay back a debt, but because God has connected me in the heart with people of, of different colors. And so it's been a tough week for me to process all this. I'm not going to lie to you. It, it, I, just, I just look at it, and I'm like, man, it just it makes me want to shout. And not in a good way. What's, it, what's that guy's name, that song? You make me want to shout. Who is that? It's before my time. Who? No, it wasn't Sammy Davis. No, it wasn't Isley Brothers. James Brown. Wasn't it James Brown? All right, someone got to look it up. I know somebody's got a phone here. Not important when it comes to the scripture, the gospel, but it's important to me to know because my wife would tell you if we're having a conversation and a subject comes up, I have to know. Like, I can't wait, so I'm asking someone. I hey, so for that, you want a donut and a cup of coffee. Oh, you already got your coffee, and I eat your donut. You're out of luck. But, but it, it, really, it really makes me question and, and, and think and dig deeper into what is happening in the world around us. And I, uh, I really, 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 really um, try to make some kind of biblical sense out of what is happening. I shared earlier, not everyone was in the room, there's a huge anti-Semitic uh, movement within the church, um, the Catholic Church, uh, the Presbyterian, I believe it's USA, um, the Catholic Church, are all anti-Semitic in the fact that they, they have no understanding that Israel was a chosen people, there's a covenant with Israel, and that yes, Jesus came through the lineage of the Jews, but when Jesus came, it did not do away with the promises to God's people. You guys good with that? And I shared uh, last week at some point, and, and I was completely uh, going from memory, which I don't like to do, and I said there were two nations that, that as, as they began to return to Jerusalem and began to return to God, they, they came from the lineage of Ishmael, but there would be two Two parts that begin to return 
to, to the one God, and then it would be a sign of a messianic millennial movement. After the service, someone said, hey, Joe, um, what nations were they and what scripture were they? And I'm like, I literally heard this uh, from Dr. Michael Brown in the fall of 1999, and I remembered it. But I didn't remember the exact scripture, so this week, guess what I did? So if you have your Bibles, go to Isaiah 19, 16 to 22. Isaiah 19, 16 to Keep going. Okay, so we have to understand one thing. Isaiah was a prophet. So then we have to understand about prophecy is prophecy was, could be for the day or for what? The future. Ready? So when we look at this scripture, it says that, that Israel is the promises of God, and there will be two nations that will come that God will strike, right, and heal. So there's some question whether it means strike means to bring affliction and then to heal out of the affliction to bring them into relationship with him. The two nations are what? Assyria and Egypt. Egypt's pretty easy. If we look at Egypt, 
uh, we, we talked about this last week, there was an Egyptian woman named Hagar who was the mother of Ishmael. Ready? But out of Ishmael, out of Egypt, came all these other Muslim nations that they called Assyria. It's important to understand in today's culture what nations were a part of Assyria. Come on. Iran. Iraq. Northern Iran, northern Iraq. Kuwait. Turkey. Saudi Arabia and Jordan. Now, there's some question if there's some more area, but that's the, that's the generalization. And what Scripture says is when the Messiah comes, God will begin to draw these people where? Back to, back, what's that? Back towards Israel, back towards Jerusalem. So it's a promise when the Messiah came, but it's also a promise. If you look at what Jack Hayford wrote in the older version, it's a sign of the beginning of a millennial mo- a movement towards the millennial reign of Christ. Does that make sense? So I shared last week that Egypt and Saudi Arabia had come into agreement to what? To normalize relationships with who? Israel. Listen to me. How important is that? That was the impetus of Hamas is because Hamas wanted to stop because what happens is Saudi Arabia, Egypt had made agreement to normalize relationships with Israel and they understood the consequences. Listen to me, it wasn't just a random act of violence. It wasn't just a random thing that happened. Ready? Iraq, now I'm going by news reports, but Iraq has funded Hezbollah and Hamas. And some of the raids this week, and that, excuse me, Iran, Iran, thank you, Iran, in some of the raids this week in Gaza, guess what they found? ISIS flags. That's a radical branch of the Muslim faith that says they'll never bow their knee to who? To Israel. Listen to me, there's a spiritual battle that's taking place that's absolutely huge that that we have to understand, well, they've been fighting this way for thousands of years. Yes, they had because there's a purpose in the the fight. But the great news is before Christ comes back, he'll begin to pull everyone back to where? To Israel. A couple questions came up this morning. Um, uh, Gordon came to me and said, hey, Joe, why don't you tell me what the question was because I'll screw up the way you asked it. The Temple Mount. So what he was saying was that that the the, the gentleman he looked at said there was, they left space to build a new temple. Ready next to the old temple, but what you have to understand is what I share with him is that that the Muslims in front of the Dome of the Rock, where the temple was going to go, put a what? Graveyard 
Because the one thing Jewish people can't do is touch the unclean. They can't touch the dead. Listen to me. We look at certain things, and we don't grasp the reality of what it means in a spiritual context. It was unclean. It was a death sentence for a Jew to touch someone who was dead, unless you were the high priest. Are you with me? You all realize that? Remember Jesus walked through the city, and a dead person got up, and everyone freaked out because it was it was wrong, it was against the law to touch something that was unclean. I'm going to share a story that Dan shared with me this morning because uh, I think it kind of ties in. And I don't want to get into all the details, but he said he went into a mosque late, uh, recently, and um, I haven't been in one in, in a long time. I think I've only been in one in my life. But he went into the Sunday school class, and in the Sunday school class, it says, love your neighbors. And so it had a, a, a guy in a turban with a staff, and it had a bunch of Muslim kids, and it says, love, love them. This is how we treat our father, fellow Muslims. And then next to them was a, another Muslim with a staff, and this is how we treat Jews, and it had a bunch of sheep, and it had a, a guy with a, a, a club beating the Jews. And the third one was, this is how we treat Christians. There's a picture of a tree from a body hanging from it. In the mosque. They had a tree with a body hanging from it. This is how we treat Christians. If we can't see the spiritual significance of what's happening in today's time, it is an attack on God. It's an attack on the Jews, but it's also an attack on Christians. And the whole desire of the enemy is to cut off who? God and his people. Plain and simple. Pastor Joe, that's, that's awful hard. Okay. It's a, hard, it's a hard thing, but it's a reality. Are there moderate Muslims out there? Yes. Are there moderate, moderate Muslims out there? Does God still love them? Absolutely. Because the scripture we just looked at said he's going to pull those people back to Jerusalem and they begin to worship him. They won't worship Muhammad. They won't worship Ishmael. They will worship him and that God is going to do something. So we have to see what God is doing in the land of Israel and the surrounding areas as God's plan, even though it doesn't make sense for us, for a plan of redemption for all humanity. Are you with me? Yes, no, maybe. Wayne, what are you thinking? I know you. But it was, it was an unclean act according to the law. So with that being said, we, we, we have to, to look. And, and so 
when we look at the, the, the modern things that are happening, it stuck out to me when it, we talked about the Abraham Accords. Remember the Abraham Accords? Did anybody look it up? It's a normalization of Assyria coming in relationship with Israel, which all goes back to the Isaiah 19 passage. And that accord was signed into agreement in the last year of the last president's term. Are you with me? Things have escalated, and it's important that we understand that our support for Israel as a nation is imperative because whoever blesses my people, I will bless, and whoever curses my people, I will. The crazy thing is, the crazy thing is, one of the greatest organizations that's turned its back on Israel is the church. My wife and I ran into a few pastors and a few people this past week, and um, the conversation came up, hey, would you preach on this week? I preached on the things happening in Israel. Oh, I'm sure there's some importance to that. Play pickleball, there's another pastor there. Hey, man, did, how did Sunday go? I'm like, I'm not quite sure because it was pretty deep and pretty intense. And what did you preach on Israel? What did you do that for? There are a couple of thoughts out there that lead people to become anti-Semitic in the fact that they don't put any emphasis on God's people, Israel, or the nation Israel as a location. is because they believe that when Jesus Christ came, that the covenants to God were no longer, or God's covenant to the Jewish people were no longer in existence. And all the blessing and promises came through Jesus because Jesus was a Jew and there's only one, one, one people group. That is not biblical. That is not true. You can frown, you can make that face, you can do whatever you want to do. I'm telling you that the church has bought in that the covenants to the Jewish people and the covenants to the land of Israel are no longer in existence. So my question is, how come God said there'll be a new heaven and a new Jerusalem? How come he didn't say there will be a new place? There will be a new land. There will be a new, no, there will be a new Jerusalem. He called out Jerusalem by name. So when we look at this, I know this is pretty deep, and this is probably more than you want to try to grasp and understand, because it is for me, and I try to grasp and understand as much as I can. But I am fearful that the church is going to miss the understanding that the Jews are still the chosen people, whether we like it or not. I shared this this week with someone. I, I talked about the Jews being the chosen people, and it was from a Christian person, and their answer was what? Why? 
Why were the Jews the chosen people? Because God said so. Well, Joe, that's not, that's, not, that's not a legitimate answer. That's, that's the only answer. Because they were the least of. Ready? Absolutely. So God says he'll take the weak and make it strong. Ready? He took David and 400 men and defeated all the, the Philistines. Ready? He took, ready? He took Joseph and put him in Egypt. To, so, I mean, God has taken the small things of this world to confound the wise and say, hey, listen to me. You're going to know that I'm God because I am with you. And that's what he's done for Israel and the people we call the Jews today. Whether you like it or not, it's part of his plan. And somehow we have to embrace that even if we don't what? It, it just, it, it drives me absolutely crazy. I'm not, I, forgive me, I know I'm babbling, but that's the way it's going to be today. The Jewish people represent what percentage of the population of the world? Come on, take a stab at it. 1%. What's that? How do you know that? You look it up. He's right. 0.02% of the population. You've been cheating. Come on, baby. Sorry. 0.02%. The Jewish nation is 0.0. And yet, they're the most, I mean, let's just put it out there. Why? Because they're that important to God. I tell people all the time, and please forgive me, this is an arrogant statement. People ask me, Joe, why you? Why does God use you to do this? And why does God use you to do that? And, and, and they, 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 they're not condescending, but they're like, dude, you're just an idiot. Why would he use somebody like you? Seriously. I mean, it, it really is that. And, and my, my answer to them is what? Favor is not fair. Get over it. I've sat down with pastors who said, God, Joe, God will never use you. I mean, I had a pastor look at me straight in my face and a number of years ago when I, I was going through a difficult time. I wasn't sure if I wanted to be a Christian anymore. I didn't know if I wanted to serve God anymore. And I shared this story a couple weeks ago. He looked at me and said, Joe, I don't know if God could ever use you. Since then, we've traveled around the world. We've been blessed to raise the dead, have blind eyes open, miraculous deliverance in cities, transformation, huge projects, all those things. Why? Because God is an expert at taking the small things in man's eyes and making them great in his eyes. And so we begin to look at it and begin to try to grasp it and understand it, that we have to, under, we have to grasp and understand the importance of the Jews. And somehow the church has got to get off its high horse Right? Because we were grafted into them. They weren't grafted into. So the mindset, the mindset that says, hey, the Jews are now grafted into us because Jesus was a Jew and atonement was done at the cross. Now the Jews are what? One of us. And that's not what Scripture says. It says we were grafted into 
them. So that theology that somehow the church replaced the Jewish people and the covenants of, of God is completely backwards. I had a rude awakening. Uh, my wife and I run a camp meeting at this point and have for a number of years, and we had a Messianic Jew come in, and I'll be honest, I was having a conversation with him, and uh, I, I asked this question not out of, it was completely out of arrogance, not, or ignorance, not arrogance, out of ignorance. I said, when did you decide to convert? When did you decide to leave your Jewish faith and become a Christian? Huh? He didn't leave it. This dude ate me upside, one, up one side and down. Instead of taking the time to explain it to me, I mean, he, this, guy was, I mean this guy was like, he went off. And I was totally dumbfounded and confused. Thank God there was another Jewish believer there who came down to me and said, he, he was traveling with this gentleman, and he goes, how'd that feel? I said, I, I feel totally confused and dumbfounded because my, my heart wasn't to, to degrade his but I was trying to figure out the process of how he became enlightened that Jesus was the Messiah, and he took it from a totally religious standpoint. Does that make sense? But he made it very known that the covenant promises were to the Jews and then to who? For the Jews and then who? Ready? If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at some scriptures, and then we're going to go have food. Not many scriptures, I hope. Romans 1, 16 and 17. Romans 1, 16. Am I speaking fast today, Mike? I need to slow down. Romans 1, 16 and 17. I'll, I'll slow down if you guys put the air conditioning on. It's 908 degrees in here. Someone read it. So, who wrote the book of Romans? Paul. He says, I'm going to preach the gospel first to all people because we're all equal by what Jesus did. What did he say? First to the Jew. Why first to the Jew? They were God's covenant people. God didn't say first because he, made it, he wanted to make it sound good. There was a reason that Purvey said first to the Jews because they were the covenant people that the lineage of Jesus Christ came through, and he wanted, wanted them to hear. Well, the answer is, they didn't listen very well, did they? Did that negate the promises of God? The problem we have is, we said they don't listen, so we negated, they negated the promises. That is not true. If I make you a promise, and I honor that promise... And I said, hey, Wayne, I'm going to play pickleball with you every Monday morning at 9 o'clock. And I make that promise, and Wayne doesn't show up at 9 o'clock on one Monday. Did I negate the promise? Who negated the promise? He did. Am I going to show up the next Monday at 9 o'clock? Absolutely. 
If he doesn't show up that Monday, am I still going to show up the following Monday? Absolutely. But there will be a time when he'll say, hey, I am not operating under that promise. And that's what the Jewish people did. Most of them have chosen not to operate under the promises or the covenant. And that's why God said, I want you to the Jew first, then the Gentile. Does that make sense? Am I too loud? I see some guys adjusting their hearing aids and hearing apparatuses. I don't mean to, to get excited or loud. I've really been trying to get better at it, but I suck at it. God went to the Jewish people first because they were chosen. He went to the Gentiles second. Right? If you have your Bibles, go to Romans 11, 25 through 29. Joe, uh, how do I want to put this out there? And this is not a prophetic word from God. It's a feeling I have. We are waist deep in World War III, and we don't even know it. We are waist deep into World War III, and we don't even know it. And we are going to have to make choices as to whether we drown or we survive. And our decision, our decision as a nation, but also our decision as a church, is going to be instrumental in whether God blesses us in the days of darkness or he curses us in the days of darkness. The church had an opportunity under Hitler to do the right thing. It chose to do the Wrong thing. What do you know about the Church of Europe today? What's the, what is the Christian population of France? Less than 2%. What is the Christian population of Germany? Less than 5%. What's, ready? All of a sudden you begin to realize, ready, when they had an opportunity to stand for righteousness and the things of God, they chose to turn up the music and pretend like it didn't happen. If we in America do the same thing, the government did one thing, which was wrong, but the church did the same, same thing that was just as bad. If you read about the stories of the trains that went to Auschwitz and come on, what's some of the other concentration camps? Auschwitz was one. Come on, what else? There are three or four major. And what they did was when they heard the train coming down the track, what did the church do? They started singing louder and turned up the pipe organ so they didn't hear the cries of who? Of the Jews. If you don't learn from history, it surely will repeat itself. Joe, why are you putting such an emphasis on this? Because I think it's that important. He said so too, I just heard it. Did someone read 11, 25 to 29? Please go.
What? How much? Okay, I just said. I mean, all, all the world. All who? Who's Israel? A land or a people? A pe- the land's important, but not any more important than the people. You hear me? Go ahead. Ready? The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Listen to me. Charismatic churches use this all the time out of context. We say gifts and calling, irrevocable, as in spiritual gifts. And what God's talking about here is the promise to the the promise to the Jews. The promise to the covenants. Last week I shared it, it said it was the promise was good to a thousand generations. I read another scripture this week. It says to two thousand generations. I'm not a biblical scholar. I do study, I do try to learn, I don't have it all figured out. I wish I had Dr. Michael Brown's mind. But what it's saying is the promise of the covenant for the Jews is still in existence. And as Christians, yes, Christ is the Messiah. Yes, we follow him, but we cannot negate the fact that the Father's love for the Jewish people. And we are not just one, there's two. How's God going to redeem it at the end? I have no idea. And it's not my responsibility, it's whose? His. What about the people who, who died before Christ? Are they all going to go to hell? <laughs> I'm not God. Did he fulfill the covenant? Sometimes. Were they obedient? Sometimes. But it's for God to judge, not for me. But I'm not going to turn my thoughts or my eyes away from some of the stuff that God has laid here before us. Yes. Correct. The emphasis is on God and his promises to his people.
and, and, and we see Christianity and the things of God all through our eyes and where it fits and where it makes us feel good. Right? And here's right. God's promises are not contingent upon my, my interpretation, my opinion, as according to his promise. Right? Has anyone in this church ever made you so mad or disappointed you to the point that you wanted them smoked? Have me here long enough? Right? How about in any church? Okay. Well, the, 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 reason I, the, re, the reason I ask that, the, re, the reason I ask that is because this, that's a reality. At some point, everyone in this room, at some point, has probably offended me to the place I'm like, God, just take them out of here. God, just get rid of them. Why? Because they didn't, they didn't fulfill my expectation of how they would respond to a given church. And God says he's slow to anger and abounding in ever-loving kindness. And we view everything through our lens and not the lens of God and God's heart is what I'm trying to get at. Does that make sense? And we look at everything through our lens and our eyes and not God's eyes, right? David, if you read the book of Psalms, how many times, I don't know exactly the number, how many times you read Psalms and then David says, hey, God, just smite my enemies. Smoke, smoke, dead. Smoke, smoke, dead. Smoke, smoke, dead. Like, just get rid of them. And then David repents and says what? But God, according to your loving kindness and mercy, God, I lift them before you. And what happens is we, we have personalized our relationship with Christ to the point that we miss God, if that, if, that's, if that even sounds possible. That we miss the heart of God, the intention of God, the purpose of God, because somehow we think it's all about who? All about me. It's never all about you. It's all about him. You are secondary in this relationship. You're extremely important. You are loved. I'm not, I'm not negating that. But this relationship is not based out of you or what you can do for him. It's about his love and what he can do for you. And the church has completely turned it all, right? It's not popular to support the Jews right now. I mean, listen to me. I watched some of the marches and, and some of the stuff on TV last night and this morning. And, and I mean, the, the Christians that were just standing up with the Palestinians and, and, and Hezbollah, they massacred children, they beheaded children, they raped women, and the church is standing behind Hezbollah. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. So yes, I get a little excited. Yes, I get a little frustrated because the people of God have blinders on. And we're missing the significance that the gifts and calling that came to the Jews at the very beginning, is still in place today, and it's irrevocable according to him, not according to me. Would I, would I revoke it? Sometimes. I grew up with a lot of wealthy Jewish men. They were 
most of them, not gonna, most of them are arrogant, obnoxious, chip on their shoulder. And I'm like, forgive me, you arrogant Jew. I'm just confessing. Was that wisdom at that point? No. Would I do it today? If someone was arrogant and I had a relationship with them, I'd probably say, hey, let's have a conversation. You're, you're being arrogant. But understand, according to God, it's all about him. Does this make sense so far? Is this too much information? Is this too much like a lecture or too much like seminary? All right. Luke 1, 72. Luke 1, 72. You have no idea. I woke up this morning. What time I get up, honey? Three o'clock. I was frantic on trying to put this together. At four o'clock, I couldn't sleep. I went downstairs. I had about 50 scriptures. I'm like, this is too much. I have to minimize it. I have to try to make sense out of it. My wife came down. I talked to her a little bit after seven. I still had no conclusion or direction. So bear with me as we walk through this. Luke 172. And we'll speed it up just a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. The covenant is gone. Jesus has come. What, what did that scripture say? Who's the fathers? The patriarchs. Ready? God says what? My promise to them is not what? It's not over. Just remember, this is Luke. This is after Jesus has come. Or would Jesus come, right? Luke's saying, hey, man, sorry about your luck. The covenant is still for God's people. Yes, the Messiah is coming. Yes, there's salvation for the Jew through Jesus. Yes, there's salvation for Gentiles. But I'm not going to forget my covenant with the patriarch, which were the 12 tribes of Israel. <laughs> Come on. Say that again. Wow. So when you study it and don't listen to it, it begins to take on a new whole form, a whole new shape, and you begin to realize that from the beginning to the end, from Genesis to Revelation, God has a covenant people, his redemption for everyone, but it starts in the seed of Abraham and ends up through Jesus who is the seed. Does that make sense? Yes, no, maybe. All right, Acts, we're, we're moving fast now. We're almost done. No one laughed. Acts 325. Just read 25 through the end.
who is Paul talking who is this referring to Luke wrote it who is this referring to the prophets of old read what it says read that again Margaret 325 you are sons of the you are the sons of the prophets who are the prophets Old Testament of the covenant right which God made with our fathers right the 12 patriarchs saying to Abraham and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed to you first who are they talking to here they're talking to the Jews covenant first Jews are you with me he didn't say to anyone who believes He's still, all the way through the New Testament, is putting what people group first. You can't do away with it. You can't. And, 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 and honestly, the church is trying to do away with it. Muslims are definitely trying to do away with it. Are you with me? Sorry, I need some water. I would say I need a drink, but we're recording. I don't want anybody to think that. Ready? Yeah. Ready? Psalm 122, verse 6. Excuse me? What does it say? Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. Why does he say pray for the peace of Jerusalem? Because if there is no peace in Jerusalem, there is no peace for the... Wow. Do you understand what he's saying here? If there's no peace in Jerusalem, there is no peace for the world. So when the two nations, Egypt and Assyria, decided they were going to come together, they had agreed to bring peace to the Arab world, and Iran... And Hezbollah said what? No, it's never going to happen because if that happens, we are wrong and they are. Correct. So, so in every situation, what we just shared is based on our religious dysfunction, 
We're trying to manipulate and control God into what God wants to do instead of looking at the Word of God for what the Word of God says. And here's what the Word of God says. No peace in Jerusalem, no peace in the world. And how do, how do we have peace in Jerusalem? How do we have peace in Jerusalem? Pray. How many people have prayed for Jerusalem or prayed for the Jews this week? Thank you. It's important. But what I'm trying to do is to broaden the foundation from last week without being 100% inclusive because I'm, I'm really not that intelligent. But my heart is on my limited ability to paint a picture for us to understand the importance and significance of what's happening in the world. Yes. Anybody else have a thought on that? I divorce you, Israel. And so again, when, when we get to that place, uh, we have to be careful that we don't look at the circumstances and situations and say, well, why should I pray for them? That government is corrupt, that government is this, right? Even the New Testament says pray for government, whether you like them or dislike them, whether you agree with them or dislike right? whether you like them or dislike them. We're still called to pray for our government. We're still called to pray for our leaders. How many of us have really don't like to pray for our leaders from time to time? I don't care what side of the fence you're on. I don't care if you're Republican, Independent, Democrat, Green Party, Whig Party, Wigged out party, whatever party you're part of, we don't like to pray. We don't like to pray because we don't like their actions and what they're doing. Here's what I do know: if you study the Old Testament, if you study the Old Testament, as the leader of the nation went, the people went. If the leader was ungodly, the people were ungodly. If the if the leaders were godly, the people became. See, ladies. 
Are you coming later? All right. Ready? So how would I pray? How would I pray for the government of Israel? God send revival. God show revelation. God supernaturally impose yourself upon them that they know that the God of Israel is still alive in the land of Jerusalem. That it's not just about a piece of property, even though it is about a piece of property, but it's more important about the people. And I share that for a reason. This week, and trying to research and study, I came across a um, a podcast snippet of an ISIS fighter. An ISIS fighter begins to talk about his holy jihad, and then in the midst of jihad and beheading people, I won't get it perfectly correct, but he felt a tap on his shoulder. And the voice he heard says, I forgive you for what you've done. And this ISIS fighter has tears in his eyes. And he said, my thought was, Mohammed only forgives us once we're dead. And yet I'm still alive. His testimony is, who is it that forgives me? And the voice said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Because I had never heard that before in my life. He said, who is the way, the truth, and the life? He said, I am Jesus Christ, the Messiah. How do we pray for the leaders of Israel? The same way someone prayed for that ISIS fighter to have an encounter with a risen Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's revelation and illumination that the Messiah is here and he's born and he's coming again. And his heart is a heart of redemption. Most of us were here because someone prayed for us long before we came to Christ. And if someone could pray for me long before I came to Christ, God can't do that we pray for a leader of a nation. Is it ungodly to pray, God, reveal yourself or remove them? No. The hard part is we have politicized everything to the point that we're missing God at the foundation of it all. And that's all I'm trying to get back to is the foundation of the promises of God to the covenant people Israel that we have been blessed through the seed of Abraham, who is Jesus Christ. But the covenant with the Jewish people is still there. 
whether I like it or not. And there's promises of whoever blesses my people, I'll bless, and whoever curses my people, I will. When we vote for politicians, we vote on popularity contests. We have no idea what their political stances are. We have no idea what their stance on, on, the, on, the, on the scripture is. We just say whether we like them personally or we don't like them. There's a word that comes to my mind. Nonsensical. It's nonsense. I'm not going to vote just on their stance of Israel. But I am going to vote on their stance on pro-life. I am going to vote on their stance on sexuality. Is there a perfect candidate? Not unless Jesus runs. But in the process of all of it, we have a responsibility. To vote based on what the word of God says and not on who can give us the most, as if somehow they're our source and God isn't. Did we read Isaiah 2-3 yet? Isaiah 2-3, last one. For being a short message, we got a long time into this day. Through the scripture in the last minute, I have no idea what it says. Don't laugh, it's not funny. Isaiah 2, verse 3. The reason I put that in there is, is Jack Hayford had a unique take on that, and I just want to read what he put. I use the Jack Hayford Spiritual Life Bible, and I think it's important. In the last days, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is, is Lord. When and where is that going to happen? Not, not when, but before the millennial reign, Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that who's Lord. Some people are pre-trib. Some people are post-trib. Some people are mid-trib. I'm not getting into that. I'm not getting into rapture. I'm not getting into tribulation. What I'm saying is that according to what Jack Hayford put here, listen to what he says. This passage is almost identical to Micah 4, 1 to 3. The cessation of war and the universal divine rule as a future hope were are so important that God revealed this eloquent passage to the prophets. He said there'll be a day when there's peace and there's not war. Ready? That's what it's saying. And that God revealed this eloquent passage to the prophets. The language here is messianic, applying in part to the age of the church and in part to the millennial reign in the world to come. Ready? 
the place he's talking about is Jerusalem. So it will be partly revealed when the nations begin to repent and come back and turn their hearts to, to God and to Christ. But the second part will come to the millennial reign when every knee has already. So there is a, I'll say, intermediate prophecy, but also a future fulfillment. And so I have to look at this and say we're somewhere between the intermediate and the future fulfillment. And my guess is we're probably closer to the future fulfillment than we were the original. Joe, when he, I'm not telling you when Jesus Christ is coming back. I have no idea. I'm saying this is what Scripture says. God's going to begin to draw people back to him where? In Jerusalem. The land is just as important as a covenant to the people. You can't separate them. Yes, ma'am. So I share with you all my struggle with prophecy. And then we're going home. Again, probably spent more time trying to process from last week to this week than I do most weeks. I usually have a little bit more clarity. I'm not picking a political party. But in September, our previous president said if we release the $6 billion, there'll be attack on America within 60 days. Lucky guess. I don't think so. I'm not saying he's a godly man. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that God reveals his plan, not just to us, but sometimes to the other people because they have a tendency to hear and listen. So I thought it was kind of unique. Five minutes later, as I was researching, there was a black prophetic guy, and he had me to the end. And what he said was, basically, there's going to be a great outpouring of God's spirit. But before we get there, there'll be massive bloodshed in October. And he shared this the last week of September. And I'm like, wow. And then he went into this whole prosperity side, and I'm like, he lost me. Joe, what are you trying to say? We need to have our eyes open. We need to have our hearts open. And we need to pray and ask God 
to illuminate what he's doing and what he's saying so we know how to pray and what to pray into and how to respond. And if you discount everything that's happened in Israel, you have missed the boat and Noah has left you behind. That's a joke, kind of. Could have lasted a little bit. I'm not sure this helps you or hurts you. I encourage you to listen to Dr. Michael Brown. He's got a book. I might have it at my house if someone wants it, if I can find it. Jewish Objections to Christ or to Messiah. thoughts So, and if, we, and if we look at historically through Scripture, when God sent Israel into captivity in Babylon, in exile, he punished them horrifically, and they had nothing to eat and nothing. No. He blessed them in the midst of captivity so that they knew, the world around them knew, that God, the God of Israel was the God of mankind. In the same way, in the Romans passage, he said, I blinded the eyes of the Jews and made them envious of what I did for the Gentiles to try to provoke them to repentance. So again, this can go on and on and on and on and on. So I, again, we, we, I, I took a four-credit class from Dr. Brown in reference to all the Jewish aspects that we're discussing. Four credits means four hours a week for 16 weeks. I sat in the classroom under probably the greatest messianic professor in our day. And this dude, I mean, and so I, I'm giving us two hours of 50-something hours, 60-something hours, whatever the numbers come out to be, and I'm not that intelligent. Just trying to encourage you. I get myself in trouble from time to time take our emotions out of it from time to time. Our emotions are important. Take our emotions out of it, emotions out of it. God, what are you trying to say? God, what are you trying to do? I understand when there's people put the things about the pal Palestinians and they're angry and they're furious and they make all these stupid comments. 
They're basing everything out of their emotions and not according to the word of God. I'm trying to get us back to the word to understand the heart of God towards the Jewish people and to the Gentiles, and they're both significant, that we become the family of God. And however he does it, there will be Jews in the heavens that will rejoice. And don't ask them, did you receive the Messiah? How did you receive the Messiah? You died 800 years before he was born. Stop. Just trust God for what the word of God says. Amen? All right, someone pray for us, please.